Hey, yo, it's the Disaster Prince. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite comics of all time, James Roberts' More Than Meets the Eye slash Lost Light. <clears throat> now, uh, to clear some stuff here, uh, forgive the cough. Um, there, it's MTMD More Than Meets the Eye slash Lost Light. Now, MTMDE ran for 56 issues, I think, 56, either 52 or 56. Um, under one of Hasbro, under Hasbro, which is its main publishing company, is IDW. So IDW Comics publishes Hasbro properties. <coughs> so um, <coughs> uh, IDW published two series that um, ran alongside each other, More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise. Obviously, famous Transformers clients. And then after MTMDE got very popular and they wanted to do an overhaul, uh, they changed the name to Lost Light which is the name of the ship they're on in MTFD. So, um, quick gloss over the episodes while I pull out View Comic, because, um, <laughs> never would it be said I download my comics legally. So, um, MTFD is the story of what happens after the end of the Autobot Decepticon War, that thing on which the entire, um, lore has been founded. Uh, what people know about um, Transformers is that the Autobots fight against the evil Decepticons. And that's where MDMD kind of goes on the rail. This is this comic, as with Robots in Disguise, the role of comics set after the end of the war. And we see the war in flashbacks. Um, and we see, uh, what we mostly see is wreckage of the war. Uh, wreckage, not like uh, fifty-seven issues, actually. Um, wreckage, not in the way that like we understand, like ruined places. I mean, Cybertron is ruined, but MTMD spends most of the comic off the planet of Cybertron as Rodimus Prime. Well, Rodimus, he never becomes Prime. Sets out to um, try to bring some peace and try to find purpose. And I've pulled up his first speech because it's uh, the first thing in the comic. And it's very good. It says, They say that 12 million years ago, on this very spot, the first Cybertronian realized he could change shape. Six million years ago, right here, Nova Prime told me that, told the world that he'd build an ark. And four million years ago, to the day, Optimus Prime stood where I stand now and turned down Megatron's first and only invitation to surrender. What happens here tomorrow will rank alongside those moments. Tomorrow, this patch of land becomes a launch pad. Tomorrow, I will board the lost light and set off in search of our ancestors. They were known as the Knights of Cybertron. They're real. I'm going to find them. And I want all of you to come with me. Bumblebee says it's your duty to stay here on a planet you no longer recognize, among people who resent you for the sacrifices you've made in their name. I say, you've done your duty. The war is over. The day you never thought would come, that's today. You've earned the right to see the universe without a gun in your hand. And that sets up a lot of the main themes of MTMT, which is the idea that the war is over and we can go exploring. There's a lot of fighting in MTMT. Uh, there's a lot of death. Uh, oh, major spoils for MTMT and Lost Light. I should say that at the beginning of every episode. <clears throat> so, uh, there's a lot of death. Um, a couple of the main cast get killed off. Not too many people get killed off permanently. So, but it's still, you know, some intense stuff. And it deals with, like, 
a lot of trauma, which is kind of weird to think about, that this is a comic about robots in outer space dealing with, like, trauma from the war. It's it's an odd thing. Um, the One of the interesting things about MTMT is the cast, because it does have a couple of names, like, big shot names. Rodimus, obviously. you got Drift, who is a very cool samurai bot, who's more known, you know. It's not one of the names that would come up to someone who's, like, watched the show. But it's someone who reads the comics would recognize Drift. Ultra Magnus, of course. Ratchet. These are some iconic characters. And then there are also a lot of characters who, like, didn't have a role or a position or anything. And one example of that is uh, Rung, who is the ship's psychiatrist. And he turns out to be one of the most important characters. He's actually God. Big surprise. Uh, that happens in Lost Light, where things get a little more weird, and I don't like it as much, because I feel like J.R.O. had to cram everything in, because they gave him a mandate of only a certain amount of issues, where he probably wanted it to be the length of MTMTE to stretch out the story like he did, but I can't be sure. Um, but, uh, um, something is the fact that, um, Jesus, what point was I making? What point was I making? The end of the war. Um, wrong, wrong. Sorry, it's been a long day. Long day. I got. I'm looking through the comic, trying to find another really good bit. The coach is like, wrong. This uh, ship's uh, psychiatrist, who I don't think even had a figure. Characters like uh, Tailgate and Whirl. Whirl is one of the best characters. I gotta talk about Whirl. Now I'm gonna grab. Um, some paper so I can remember to talk about World because World is awesome. Now, uh, there are a lot of different points. There are the excellent, excellent, excellent characters, perfect writing, really interesting plots, atmosphere, like discussion of in, uh, issues, like gender is really weird in Transformers, which is not a sentence, you know. I thought I would say before getting into this comic, because they got into almost four years ago. So, let me see. Whirl. Want to talk about? And Whirl, Cyclonus, and Tailgate. And then, I gotta talk about gender and sexuality. Um, yep. Uh, I'll talk about this. Uh, but what I want to stick with is the main theme of the end of the world, uh, end of the war, because one of the first things that happens is the Lost Light sets out to find the Knights of Cybertron. They only have 200 people, and the first thing that happens is their ship goes off course. Uh, and it lands far away from home, and they don't know where they are on the map, and that kind of sets the scene. They find their, find their map easily, but it's really fun to just see, like, the kind of it's kind of got this air about of being lost out in the middle of nowhere and you could die at any point but you also have to try to find yourself. And it's it's interesting. Um there's a lot that uh goes on in it that like characters don't know who they are after the war. Like there's this big phenomenon. There's the, uh, another thing they discuss is there's a lot of Transformers lore that's discussed, and basically Transformers can be created one of created one of two ways. Uh, they're called Cybertronians because they're from Cybertron, but they can be created uh, naturally, um, which is 
their sparks. I forget what the word for it is. Um, but uh, their sparks appear on the earth, and then there are people who like tend to it and form it into a ball. And then there are people who are cold constructed. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of lies and myths in the lore about cold construction, but a big thing to note is cold construction <clears throat> is people are racist. There's racism in Transformers, which is weird. <clears throat> there's this whole plot about it. This like megalomaniacal um, preacher lawyer wants to kill all cold constructed people. It's intense, but I like. It. So <sighs> the end of the war, no one quite knows who they are, and kind of have to deal with that. I forget I was making what point I was making about cold construction, but. Oh, yes. Uh, there are a lot of the characters in the this comic were cold-constructed during the war. That means they do not remember a time outside the war. There's a line from, uh, oh, that's something else i got to talk about, in a section called The Scavengers, which puts some great perspective on the war. Um, and the line is, what do you mean there's no more war? That's like saying there's no more blue, or the weather's stopped, which... I think that speaks for itself. God, I gotta talk about the scavengers because they put so much perspective on the war. It's like the sixth and seventh issues. I gotta talk about them. But uh, I've got another really great line uh, from this character, Swerve, who's a depressed barkeep. And we don't really realize he's depressed for a while. I mean, you can realize, but part of his thing is that he's hiding it and he's projecting this hollow matter avatar. It's, it's interesting. And this is from the um, uh, Christmas annual, I think. And uh, he's having a conversation with his hallucination. And he says, I forget the feeling you've been lied to. To which the man, the hallucination says, lied to. We were always told after we'd won the war that that'd be it. Let the NJX flow and the good times roll. But that's rubbish. I think my mistakes, I've only just realized this. My mistakes are, was to confuse peace with happiness. Because they, they're different things, aren't they? They're different things. Uh, to which the hallucination says, we're not used to... We're not used to not fighting, that's all. Peace takes time to sink in. <laughs> I always said I'd do two things after I won the war. I'd get into alt mode, something totally sleek and impractical, and make friends with the Decepticon. Because they're not all psychopaths, are they? Shock says most of them were conscripted or brainwashed. Me and Shock will join the last light to help an old friend. I think we're gonna split when we pass I think we were gonna split when we pass near Hedona or the Pleasure Hive. What are you gonna do next? Uh, to which Swerve says. What? After we found the Knights of Cybertron? Um, uh, join another quest, I suppose. I love a good... I'll say... You say it'll sink in, being at peace. But what if it doesn't? Or what if it does, but I, I can't do it justice? We're not fighting Decepticons anymore. I should be trying to cure cybercrosis or compose new program codes or not rearranging furniture to freak out Red Alert. To which the hallucination says, Why not? Peace is the freedom to do whatever you want. Unless you're talking inner peace, in which it, in which case I doubt any of us will be able to feel that again. You can't live through that, what we've lived through, and expect to feel that. All you can do is be thankful you've survived. And that's a big theme, is they can't progenerate because they don't cold construct anymore. Because the cold construction came from the Matrix, so they tapped it dry. They can't cold construct anyone new. And for a while, there are no new sparks that uh, pop up off the earth. Uh, they're called hot spots where the pop, uh, sparks pop up. So, there's no one else. 
this is the race they have. They can't make anyone else. And they've been at war for the last 4, 000, uh, 4 million years. And the Transformers have a long lifespan. But again, most of them were built in the war. Uh, a good majority of our cast was built in the war. Uh, and some of them, like, have to cope with that. Um, I mean, all of them have to cope with the war, but some of them have to cope with the fact that they were made for war, or they've only ever known war. And it's it's intense. Um, characters like Rewind, who used to be a um, an archivist, uh, still an archivist. Uh, also, you know, in Love of Chromedome, who's another character. Um, Rewind lived before the war in this society called the um, Functionist Society that was uh, a caste system based on what you could turn into. And it was a brutal dictatorship. And Rewind lived as the lowest of the low classes with characters like Tailgate. Um, and that is the bottom of the barrel for what you can be when you're a Transformer, um, a disposable class. And then the war happens. And they have a chance to like live outside of who they used to be. But it was still at the expense of so many lives, and I mean, there's also this whole thing where the Decepticons tried to cyberform other planets and bring about, uh, destroy organic life and bring about all metallic life. Uh, there's a character named Overlord, who was one of the notorious phase sixers, um, because there were six phases in the plan to, um, make a planet work again, like, make a planet completely devoid of organic life, and phase sixers were the sixth stage, they come in, they wipe everyone, all the survivors out. Um, and they're absurdly powerful. But there's there are characters like that who kill worlds. And characters who have massive casualties on their hands. Uh, legacy is a big thing in this comic. You have to try to live up to legacy. And that's for our three main characters, not three main characters, three leadership characters who are for the per first part, are Rodimus, Drift, and Ultra Magnus. It's Rodimus, of course, has to live up with the fact that he had the Matrix for a bit. Optimus Prime thought he was smart and good at leading. And in reality, most of the things he's tried, he's screwed up really badly at. And he's trying to do this. He's trying to prove himself, and he's a hothead. And there's this one speech he has, or this one conversation, um where Ron is psychoanalyzing him, he says, you hate it, uh, like, he says, you're, I'm paraphrasing for the first part, and it's, you're upset, not because you lost your dear friends, but because you weren't able to save everyone, and you, and then he says, and I'm quoting this, and you hate it, and you hate that you hate it, which is one of my favorite bits of all time. Uh, just, it's really poignant. Just that line, you hate it, and you hate that you hate it. Rodimus is one of my favorite characters of all time. He's so cool, and, like, I love him. But Ultra Magnus, as you'll be other one point, is a legacy bot, meaning it's actually a title, and he, the whole Magnus suit is actually armor. Ultra Magnus is really this dude named Minimus Ambus, who's always been second best. Uh, there was a dude... Um, Dominus Ambus was his brother, or Spark brother. Uh, I don't exactly get how that happened, but they were of the same house, like the same affiliation. And Minimus Ambus was always second to Dominus. So when Dominus left, died, went missing. We learned he uh, didn't die, but people thought he did. Ultra, uh, Minimus goes on to become Ultra Magnus, and be, but he's uncomfortable in the position because he doesn't think he's enough of a lawman. 
that he's respectful enough and he doesn't know what to do now that the war is over. He's become increasingly obsessed with minute details, which make no one like him because no one wants to, like, talk to a dude who'll put you in the brig if your badge is on wrong. And then there's Drift, who used to be a Decepticon by the name of Deadlock. Um, and that, I think, is telling in itself. He switched sides during the war, and he's only allowed to be on the ship because of a thing called the Decepticon Reintegration Act, which we don't learn much about, but I like those little war-building elephant elements, not war-building elephants, where it's like, oh, Drift is only here because of legislation. Like, they had to legislate the end of the war. We're not seeing the peace talks. Where you In peace talks, I feel like that would even still be part of the war because it's like, oh, we got to hammer out the peace. There's still tension. Um, like, we still got to try to get as much as we can. Whereas MTMD is, okay, the war is over. What's next? Uh, and on the topic of the war is over, what's next? We have to talk about the scavengers. Uh, the scavengers, I think their story begins. Uh, don't quote. Yes. Uh, their story begins. Not in issue six, because that's ultra, that's, um, not ultra Magnus. That's Fort Max's traumatic freakout, where there's literally an arc where a traumatized thought, like, has an intense, um, episode and becomes convinced and, like, takes the psychiatrist hostage, which is weird for a robot comic about giant robots in outer space. But that's how it is. Uh, is this the Delphi arc? I'm sorry, I'm just going through this because we see a lot of people. Oh, here we are. So the scavengers are cut in between some different shots of uh, different groups. Uh, in episode, uh, issue seven, we meet the scavengers. And the scavengers are... A group of Decepticons after the war has ended. And we get to learn a lot about the scale of the war and the impact of the war through this. Because we see the impact on the side of the Autobots, considering almost everyone on the Lost Light is an Autobot. Uh, there are a couple former converts, there are a couple people who don't want to be Autobots, but they don't have any, like, straight-up Decepticons on the Lost Light. And so we cut to these one, two, three, four, five, six people. And it's after the war is over. And they're stuck on this planet. And it's littered with corpses. And there's a lot of really poignant stuff. Um, for example, it's, it's all funny. The scavengers are very funny. And they're very silly because they get into all these dramatic arguments. But there's also statements like this. Like, there was a time when both sides were throwing everything they had at one another. A thousand battles being fought on multiple fronts and a relentless bid for full-spectrum dominance. The big two sealed themselves onto hy into hypercognizant shells, omniglobes, that better absorb the relentless field reports and frontline updates. They wanted to know everything, all at once, that time, the hero and the villain. Millions of miles apart, the, the neural processors stretched to capacity, both obsessed with the total totality of the information, everything all at once, all the time, from an individual trooper's energon levels to wind direction on an Ellipsian battlefields. People's lives were reduced to decimals and then integers and intersecting lines. And when the, when that happens, you end up with a thousand worlds like this one, trampled underfoot when the forgotten about when the war surges forward. Only difference between us and the Autobots is that the Autobots went back to collect their dead. So it's very it's very telling that 
you hear the phrase, the big two, the hero and the villain, but these Decepticons don't spe- uh, don't say which one's the hero, which one's the villain, because you can assume that the, skept- the Decepticons believe Optimus Prime to be the villain of this story. Optimus Prime, who was complicit in as much carnage as Megatron was. And uh, that's something about uh, the comics. They have to deal with the fact that one of the groups is called the Decepticons. So they come up with this saying, um, you're being deceived. And they, like, don't believe in the current class structure. Um, uh, Megatron is extremely coded as, like, all of Russia. Like, he's low-key a Stalin analog, but he's also low-key a Lenin analog. And then he's also, like... A Gorbachev analog when the war ends? It's weird. I gotta get to him later, because he, at one point, becomes an Autobot and joins the crew, which is wild! Wild! Um, but I was talking about the scavengers. I love the scavengers. So, um, they're sitting around this campfire, right? Trying to catch this dude Fulcrum up on the fact that the war is over. Um... Because he's been out for most of it. And he says, well, for a good portion of it. Because he was built, so he was built to be something. We don't know what his original alt mode is. But we learned at one point that he was reconfigured into a bomb because he had, uh, because he was accused of being a coward. And now he's on the list because his bomb did not go off and he's still alive. Of being um, a traitor to the Decepticon cause, and there's this group, the DJD, Decepticon Justice Division, who hunt down and graphically murder uh, anybody they can find who betrayed the Decepticon cause, and they've got this whole thing, the list, and uh, they're led by this guy, Tarn, and it's it's really interesting, but I, it's hard to really get the perfect aesthetic going on there, and I really want to talk about the scavengers, Megatron, gender and sexuality, moral cyclonists, and tailgate in... Um, this, and I've already gone on for 22 minutes, so this is going to be a long episode. So, the scavengers are having this conversation. And they're discussing what happened to the war, why the world is like this. And they talk that the war is over. And it, it takes, um, Fulcrum a bit to realize that, a bit to, like, digest the information. And then he, he asks a very poignant question, which is, did we win? And there's this shot. Of just them sitting around the fire and no one speaks for a moment. And then uh, four four of the other characters try to answer. And it's one goes, we think. The next goes, we don't know, but we're just guessing. And the next goes, we're guessing probably the Autobots one. And then the last one goes, you know, just just because. They don't actually know who won the war. Which is telling. Oh my god, that's intense. And then, that leaves you with this poignant sense of sadness, you know? Just like, they don't know who won the war. And you kind of forget about all the war crimes that literally every character in this comic has committed, except for Tailgate, because Tailgate was asleep for the entire war. And the entire functionalist government. I love Tailgate. We'll get to him later. But, um, they try to decide what to do next. And then... This character, who is described to be kind of loony, um, says, the fire's giving me a weird looks, Kronk. I'm thinking I'm going to shoot it. Which you think is like, haha, silly. And then it cuts down to a uh, bot that has been 
ripped in half and they are burning its fuel, like its fuel, meaning the stuff in its organs to keep it alive, uh, to give them a fire. And it, it's muttering, please. Uh, and he says, uh, but the war is over. And they're using a dead Autobot, presumably because they're all Decepticons. And then they shoot it in the head. And that's that. And it's intense. And then we cut away to um, a character named Red Alert committing suicide. Uh, he's fine. He lives. Um, but it's just, God, it's so so intense for, like, a comic about robots in outer space. Um, the scavengers have a lot of fun. And you, you really see them in, like, some flashbacks during the war fighting against the Autobots. And there's this prison called Samanthi. No, yes, there's a prison called Demonzi, but there's this prison called Grindcore, which we cut to, and we see Skids, the character, being tortured and, like, just made to suffer in this place. And one of the attendants there is one, one of the people in the background who's running the, ship, the show is <clears throat> a member of the scavengers. Um, and you have to really think about these things. And, but you also see, from the scavengers' protection perspective characters we've seen to be heroic and iconic like the um god what are they called the wreckers which are these this like elite unit of marines who just go in and wreck shop and destroy decepticons they took out unkillable overlord they're they're like legends and we see in another comic written by james roberts uh which is called last stand of the wreckers where we see them die and we, uh, and it's how most of the records get taken out. Um, and it was his first, uh, first comic, I think, with IDW, and then he gets hired on to write this, and it's very good. Um, The Last Stand is, po- is a poignant tale about war and killing and not having a moral, and, and TMT is that, the long form. So... I guess I'm going to have to talk about Megatron because it's like the best way I could uh, segue in at the moment. So about the halfway point, Megatron joins the Lost Light crew. More than that, Megatron becomes captain of the Lost Light. And as much as I don't like that decision because I don't actually like Megatron, I mean, I get the way he's written to be like that. But part of what's... What do you mean they don't have issues? What sort of homophobia is this? Sorry, um, but, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? Yeah, Megatron joins the crew about halfway through when it switches over from something called season one to season two. Uh, guess we're gonna have to go to read comics online. And he becomes captain because of something Optimus understands as the total transparency clause, where he believes that if Megatron is captain, he will have less of a chance to screw things up and hide and try to get around uh, get around the regulations of life. Which, I guess, I mean, for a reason to make Megatron captain of your spaceship is not the worst thing that can, you can come up with as a writer. Um, it's not great, but... It's not terrible. So, more than meets the eye. Uh, Transformers. More than meets the eye. Uh, so, 47 is an issue with a character called Getaway. What is this a saying? 
results remind us. And it is, I guess I'm just completely going right on here because I want to talk about Tailgate by Clonus. Because love is real. And sometimes it takes you 47 issues to realize that you're in love with another old man. But <sighs> that's how it is sometimes. So Cyclonus was alive before the war, before the functionalists. And he lived through that era. He was trapped in a place called this, the Dead Universe for a while. But it was... There was a lot of... Uh, rough stuff for my guy and he has been saved from the at the beginning of this comic he has been saved from the dead universe and he has to sort of start a new life and his only way to live his only possible chance finding a thing to do is if he sticks with the lost light uh because rodimus is the man who saved him originally and he's the only like he ends up going with that ship anyway uh and he gets into a conflict with character character called Whirl, who is one of the best written characters of all time. He is in a uh, quadruple of characters I call the, for lack of a better term, Whirl, Vriska, Hester, Hester Lenick chart. Uh, one-eyed, one-eyed, um, usually one-armed characters who have to, like, who are forced to do terrible things because they believe they're their only option after growing up in a hostile environment. Um, but Whirl and his hands and anger as an insulator is such a good bit. But I was talking about Cyclonus, wasn't I? So Cyclonus, he's this old man and he's tired and this is his only, only option is to go with these people. I mean, it's not his only option. It's not like he's being forced to, but it's the only, you know, the choice he has. It's just that or wander around. So, so he ends up joining up with... Oh, at first he wanders around for a bit, and he finds Whirl, burning corpses. And also, if you look back and read and pay a little bit of attention, probably trying to kill himself also. Which is depressing. Yeah. MTMT is a recovery narrative. Change my mind. You can't. It's literally a recovery narrative. It's the purpose of this narrative is to make the characters feel better. Um, and then they get into a fight, and they both get stuck on board the Lost Light. Whirl doesn't want to be there originally. Cyclonus doesn't want to be there, but doesn't really have a choice, and they're stuck on the alternate ends of the stuck somewhere they don't know in the middle of outer space. And then they sort of hate each other. Uh, Cyclonus tells Whirl, uh, after they've been forced to make nice by their captain, if they want to stay on the ship, uh, something like, uh, I'll kill you, you won't know when, you won't see it coming, but I will kill you. And they're uh, they both try to kill each other uh, a couple times. Whirl tries to go for it in this one issue, I think it's issue 13 or 12, where um, he sticks Cyclonus in a room with a bomb uh, because he knows Tail... I'm not entirely sure why he sticks um, him in the room with the bomb because I don't think Whirl at that point knows that Tailgate isn't actually an explosives expert because there's this other character called Tailgate. And he is this uh, little bot who was asleep for the functionalist government and the war. Uh, he's just as old as Cyclonus. And he serves as, like, the audience because he doesn't get what happened. So if you need clarification, Tailgate's usually asking the questions. So, Tailgate is a bit of a mess. And he's very anxious. And his story is one of... <laughs> trauma learning about it and 
trying to help. And he and Cyclonus get off to a rocky start. Cyclonus is takes some pity on him and then sort of is looking for his past and tailgate and tailgate is looking for his past and Cyclonus, but Tailgate says some stuff that pisses Cyclonus off. It's a whole thing. But they eventually they fall in love. They they're in love. They're they accidentally get married. It's so cute. Ugh. Like they're they're actually they're actually dating. It's so sweet. I love it. And Cyclonus is afraid of love and Tailgate is a little bit too they're both too hesitant and it's it's so cute. Like, I'm just scanning through 57 now, and there's this bit where Cyclonus is just staring angrily at, like, the public PDA of Rewind and Chromedom. And he, uh, the implication in this issue is that he's going to confess soon. He doesn't get the chance to, but it's so cute. Ah. Cyclonus is like this big, grim robot with these two big horns, and Tailgate made him another horn because it broke. And, uh, Cyclonus is so good. The goddess also has this weird relationship with the world. So as I was saying, he and world don't get along. They try to kill each other multiple times. But eventually, they're stuck together when everyone else gets captured, and they have to be the ones to break everybody out. And they fight off against this, like, horde of enemies because they're both absurdly strong fighters. And there's the scene where you think, and it's so nerve-wracking, because they don't tell you it's like a hallucination. It's not a hallucination. They don't tell you it's like a weird alternate universe or fantasy thing. Where Cyclonus pushes Whirl into boiling lava because Whirl had promised. Whirl had offered Cyclonus a promise. If we both make it out of this, the hatchet's getting buried. It's gonna be chill. Hatchet does. Hatchet does get buried, but you see Cyclonus click push Whirl into boiling lava, and it cuts away to another character. And I was like screaming. I was like, No, Whirl, Whirl, Whirl. Oh my god, and that's also when you learn a lot about his past and who World was. And I'll get to who World was later, but um Psychotis and Telgate slowly you know get closer as they bond over their um, lost culture. And Psychonis <laughs> ends up going to World for a lot of relationship advice because World's caustic but honest. And he just says and he says the truth. Um and uh Here's uh, after Cyclonus came to ask Whirl something about his relationship, and uh, Whirl kind of roasted him. Um, uh, Cyclonus, uh, Whirl asks, Cyclonus, wait up. There are over 200 of us on this ship, and you came here. You came to see me. Why would you do that? Which Cyclonus says, because whether out of fear or friendship, everyone else would tell me what they thought I wanted to hear. I'd be tailgate to their getaway. You don't care. You're not afraid of me, and I certainly don't consider. And you certainly don't consider me a friend. I came here because I knew you'd never. You'd tell me the truth, even if the truth hurt. And it. And you did. And it did. And like, ah. Oh. And he makes Whirl reconsider his plot to like use Getaway as bait to like have Getaway kill my, have to use Tailgate as bait to have Megatron kill Tailgate so they could justify killing Megatron. Which is something really nice. I mean, it's not nice, but it reminds me of this. Getaway is a character who's treated as evil, and he is. But there's also something really interesting about the fact that he's, he says something that's like, we have trouble hating Megatron because the scale of his crime is so massive that we, we can't comprehend it. But if you, kill, if you just straight up murder someone who mattered to you, that's different. That's like a personal loss. The way that... 
that you can mourn like some um, a family member who died, but you you would have trouble even comprehending um like if the world was destroyed. Like how how do you even how do you even think about that? And the thing is like you don't. You it's impossible. It's even more than the world. This is billions and billions of people. And the war's over and there's nothing you can do. It's just it's poignant. There's also a character called the Necrobot. And he has a planet full of flowers. And they arrive there and they don't think he's there. They just see this planet full of flowers and they think, oh, flowers are on the memorials of the dead. Because there's a memorial of every person alive and dead. And if there's a statue there, the person's, all, uh, the person's dead. And if there's not, they're alive. So, here's what happens, right? There's the stat there's this planet full of flowers. And the Necrobot has, we learn, discovered a foolproof way to trace death. Not just trace cause, but trace deaths caused by other people. We're not shown the system, but uh, we're told it is a foolproof way to figure out who killed who, who is responsible for what death. And there's not a single person on that. There's not a single memorial on that planet that does not have a flower near it. Cybertronians are a race defined by conflict. They can't escape it. They were never, they couldn't avoid it. They're a race that was always going to be at war. One way or another, they were always going to take themselves out. But they didn't. The Cybertronian War ended before they wiped themselves out, leaving, perhaps, hopefully, no one left to figure out what to do with the pieces. They have too much left over. Too much. Too many people are still alive for the hate to be gone, and too few people are alive for the war to continue. It's just, I don't know. It's it's something to think about. As I was saying, there's a scene, Megatron, and I don't really like him. I said it before, I don't really like him, but this is one of my favorite scenes. He goes out and he goes out to find his statue. And he is just, there's a shot of him just standing in miles and miles and miles of fields of flowers. It's beautiful. And then you remember, and then you think these flowers are all the people he's killed. All the deaths that were caused by him. And you can't even see where they end. It must be half his planet taken up by flowers. And it's... You know, it's sad because yeah, obviously all those people died, but also, like, this is all he is. This is his legacy. His legacy is fields of flowers. It's, it's wonderful. And it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's not great for him, but it's just such a good image and such a good thing to say. We all have flowers on our graves. But I was going to talk about who Whirl is. Okay. Whirl was a clockmaker. Ah, uh, no. Whirl was a Air Force pilot. Uh, 
By that, I mean he turns into a helicopter. But he was very good at clock making back before the war. And he was so good at it, in fact. And he was, um, as a member of the military class, he was decently high up. He was allowed to change jobs. He was allowed to become a watchmaker. And he was happy. And then, <laughs> well, then his shop got destroyed. And then, well, <laughs> things went downhill from there. He started, he didn't have enough money to rebuild. And he started being a criminal. And then... Empurata. Empurata is is something that the old functionists did. Basically, Empurata is you made a medal, so we can take your hands, we can take your face, we can make we can give you a different head and different hands. Roll has claws. Roll has a has one eye. Roll. Has been disfigured by the state. And that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And then he, he joined the Wreckers and he committed crimes and, you know, things weren't very good for him for a while. And he, nobody really likes him at the start of the comic because it's Whirl. It's, it's this weird, mean, caustic criminal. And you don't want to talk to him and you don't certainly want to interact with him. And more than that, it's just like, he, and then we see him on the last light, and we, it's, as he starts to recover, as he starts to feel better about himself, as he starts to make friends, occasionally, occasionally, very rarely, we get to look at his room, and we see him making clocks, and it's, oh, it makes me emotional. He is making clocks, even though his hands aren't back to the way they were. He's trying, and even though they're not the way they used to be, he says he admits that uh, he hasn't gotten it quite right again. He's still a grown-up man. It's on purpose after the war. Um, Rodimus, uh, sadly, sadly, he's one of the few characters who doesn't find purpose after the war. Because um, we see a cut ahead to what happens to them all after the end of the trip. Rodimus uh, becomes a drunkard and a um, chasing adventurer on the co coattails of someone who's undeniably better than him. And it's depressing, is what it is. It's very depressing. But, yeah. You know, if I've got time... Oh, God, I'm not even going to get to gender and sexuality. Uh, I was looking for this good world bit, where he talked about his claws. That's what I was doing. Okay, here we go. Basically, they're at this thing that you need hands to open. And um, Cyclonus and Whirl are talking. And this is the thing where they're like, if we get through this, we'll bury the hatchet. Cyclonus says, don't the arms bother you? And Whirl says, nah, you get, used to you get used to alarms whenever you break into a deserted building. What bothers me is these stupid frickin', these frickin' stupid frickin' handles. They're not exactly claw-friendly. To which Cyclonus is like, let me. And he asks, I don't understand why you don't get yourself fixed. If not the face, then the claws. And then Whirl, who's probably not in the best of shape at the moment, says, You want to know a secret, Hornhead? My life's messed up. I'm messed up. I've done bad things, and I continue to do bad things, because the voice telling me not to, he's not said much for a while. You know what keeps me going? And now, all caps and Ted's fawn. Anger. Anger's an insulator. Stops life getting too... Stops life getting too close. If I got myself fixed, maybe the anger would leave, and then I would be really be screwed. <laughs> and then he makes, and then he asks, and since we're getting personal, there's marks on your face. Cyclonus, 
we see, at one point, has got scars marking up his face. And it's because he took his clawed hand across his face because he's trying to cope with the fact that his dear friend, Tailgate, is on his deathbed. They save Tailgate. Cyclonus is forced to stab him through with a blade. But it's like, oh, it's it's not good on either of their psyche. Um, and then at the end of the, there's this great bit that ties into the end. There's Lost Light. We see what happens to them all after the end. And it's depressing, but it's good. And it's bittersweet because some of them ended up happy. Some of them ended up really, really sad. And Rodimus ended up in a bad place. And it's just, it's kind of depressing what happened to them. Um, but I'm trying to find this one section where, okay, I'm sorry, I'm just going through it. Because Rodimus is going to, at one point, be forced to open a matrix. I forget if he can't open the matrix anymore, which is really gosh darn depressing. Um... God, I'm just really emo. Oh, there's this great Rodimus speech. I'm going to have to read it to you because, oh, my God. And he's trying to inspire people to get to open these copies of The Matrix. And he says, I mean, think about it. And uh, he says, let's see. It's kind of long, but it's good. Why isn't this? Uh. Why isn't this working? They're good people. Yes, they are, and I'm proof. Without them, I'd never have made it. Oh, this is Megatron speaking. Yes, they are, and I'm proof. Without them, I'd never have made it this far. But if this is going to work, they need to truly believe they're worthy. Rodimus asks, so what do I do? And Megatron says, simple, you tell them what they need to hear. And Rodimus embraces his title as co-captain, something he's been fighting. He says, this is your co-captain speaking, and I've got a question. Have you ever wondered how we made it this far? I mean... We're not the smartest, or the strongest, or the bravest, or the best. We don't have the most firepower, or the largest army, or the fastest ships. We're not, we're, and God knows we're not natural bedfellows. I mean, think about it. An archivist, a retired Nemo surgeon, a gunsmith, an archaeologist, a waste disposal expert, a quantum mechanic, a poet, a watchmaker, a barkeep. It shouldn't work, but it does. And it works because we've got one thing in common. Each other. Think Think of who's listening to this message, and I bet you someone they res you respect, of someone whose judgment you trust, someone who can make you laugh, who can make you happy, who makes you feel it's okay to be exactly who you are, and I promise, in fact, I guarantee that someone listening to this right now is thinking about you in the exact same way. Okay, so you've made some bad decisions. You've hurt people. You've hurt yourselves. You've stumbled through life, one, one self-inflicted disaster to the next without anything approaching a plan, to which I say, welcome aboard. Maybe we're not good, but you're sure as hell good enough. It's so... Oh, God, it makes me so emotional. And then Rodimus opens his Matrix, which has been, like, such a thing for him because he, like, lost it at one point. Oh, it's just... I, I'm going to just get be beyond the power of words if I don't skip to gender and sexuality in Transformers right now. But I was looking for this bit about Whirl. Yes, I was looking for something to think about Whirl because I am a Whirl fan. I was looking for this one of the last Whirl quotes, and then I have to skip to... Gender and sexuality and transformers, because I will just, like, get really emo on y'all again. And y'all don't want that. 
Yeah, really, no. <laughs> um, let's see, where's world? Because, oh, eh. Um, sorry, my mom just interrupted. Uh, she's not interrupted. I love her. Uh, it's going to take me a bit, Ma. I'll be done in a bit. Oh, uh, one second. Uh, don't worry. Uh, just go. All right. Sorry about that. So, there's this bit. Gums. Uh, this comic. Read it. Read it. Read it. I cannot encourage you enough to read Transformers, more than meets the eye, and the Transformers, the Lost Light. It's literally gold. It's gold. It's so gold. It's so good. It's perfect. It's such a good, gosh darn narrative. And there's this bit at the end where Ratchet, who's dead at that point, uh, um, has left Whirl his hands because that's been a big hang up for Whirl his hands. We've seen, and someone, um, someone says, um. Hey, you, uh, this is World. Hey, you, whatever your name is. Yeah, Lorainian113, funeral bot, whatever. Do me a favor. Get this back drift and say thank you. Say it's a lovely gesture, but I'm not broken and I don't need fixing. And he hands back the hands and it's so good. World, you've recovered. And he gets this opportunity to go um, retire with uh, gay husbands, cyclonus, and tailgate. Which brings me to the point I have been meaning to say all along. Transformers has some really interesting takes on gender and sexuality, which is weird. That's a weird sentence to say. Just, when talking about MTMT, you kind of have to get, the first step is to just stop thinking about how weird it is, which is very difficult. But then you actually look at some of the points it makes and like, wow, wow. Loud voice, as loud as possible. Wow. So. Gender is a nationality at first. Because at first there are no girls. At first, every character we meet refers to themselves as he. Um, uh, there's one person, R.C. on Cybertron, who is not a man, and she is not a man because she was cold constructed, and she was made to not be a man. She was made to be a she, a woman. Uh, which they, since they travel the stars, they kind of know that's another pronoun to use. But everyone, defa everyone defaults to he. Uh, on Cybertron. And then there's another colony, a lost planet called Camias, where everyone defaults to she. Which is really, really good. I like that. I like the whole everyone has to default to she on Camias, and everyone defaults to he on Cybertron, because that's just what Cybertronians do. They default to he. Um, there's the scene where, um, Someone who has also been out for most of the war, uh, Nightbeat, or out for a while, not most of the war, but a good portion of the war, um, is talking and he says something like, uh, because this girl Nautica has joined the crew and he says, uh, and who's he? And Rewind, uh, no, someone, it might not be around, is forced to explain, uh, also he's a she. And it goes over really well, like Nightbeat takes it well, but it's weird to think that Every every Cybertronian, because Nightbeat doesn't know they found Camus. Every Cybertronian uses he for every other Cybertronian, RC excluded, but she is, let us remember, an experiment to introduce gender to the Cybertronian society. And then there's the concept of trans transformers. There are trans transformers. You have to accept it. Uh, Lug and Anode, canonically trans. They talk about it and they talk about how, as they, both of them, they're both girls, ladies, whatever, they traveled. Far away from home, 
and they started learning more about the universe, and she just fit better than he. And that's that. And they're also lesbians, and they love each other. <laughs> um, there are a lot of gay characters in Transformers. Drift and Ratchet get together. Perceptor and Brainstorm, it's implied, get together. Brainstorm is canonically gay. He had a crush on this guy named Quark. Rewind and Chrome Dome, original homosexuals. Um, they were the first gay couple in the comic. And they're in Love is Enduring. Cyclonus and Tailgate is, oh, it's such a good slow build. It makes me so emotional. Oh, my God. And then, um, who else is gay? Who else is gay? Getaway tries to romance Tailgate, but that's manipulative because he's trying to get Tailgate to die for a cause. And, uh, you know, I have, you know, my own opinions, TM. Uh, but, you know... There's a lot of slow burn, and it's all really cute. <sighs> I'm emo. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about in Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. I highly recommend it. It's so good. The plots are great. There's time travel, gay robots, the history of, like, contending with the history of your race. Um, and what do you do when the war is over? What do you mean the war's over? That's like saying there's no more blue or or the weather's stopped. I have that bit memorized. Uh, it's just such a good comic, and it goes over a lot, and there's so many. It's, like, really aesthetic, too, and it talks about a lot of shit, and it's funny. And it's undeniably a very British comic, <laughs> given the style of humor and the way James Roberts writes. There's a lot. Um, it's a good comic. And it makes me emotional, and it's over, and it was so, so good. And there's this one bit near the end where the planet's hot spots light up, and it says, don't you forget about me. It says, not like the friends, it says, don't forget about me. Ugh. God. It's a story about robots and outer space and a captain who's kind of shit. And a crew is kind of crap. And it's so, so very, 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 very good.